Welcome to Doha Debates. Each episode, we explore an urgent issue, present two opposing sides on that issue, and try to see where, if any, common ground can be found. We hope to bring you a conversation that's well-informed, spirited, but civil and respectful as well. I'm Karen Given, a journalist and producer who's been working in radio for over two decades. And today, we're looking at eating meat. There are many reasons why some people choose not to eat meat for health reasons, because the production of meat contributes to the climate crisis, or because they're morally opposed to killing animals. That last reason is the one we're going to explore more today. Before we introduce our guests, first, a little background. Humankind has been eating meat since humankind existed. There are cave drawings of Neanderthals and early humans hunting and killing animals. Biologically, we have canine teeth that are sharp and ideal for tearing through meat. And physiologically, bodies need many of the nutrients like iron and the protein that meat provides. But we are an evolved species. It's become easier and easier to have a healthy diet without eating meat, like taking dietary supplements like vitamin B12 and finding ways to get omega-3 fatty acids into your diet. But just because you can avoid meat, should you feel like you have to? Meat is a major part of the world's cuisines and our cultural heritage. And while eating meat may seem cruel or unnecessary, it's definitely not unnatural. So today we're going to ask, is eating meat an act of cruelty? And what do humans and animals stand to gain or lose from continuing the practice? Joining us now are two big thinkers on the topic. Representing proud meat eaters, we are joined by Hamzad Huri. He's a London-based food blogger with roots in Pakistan. He loves to find the best food to eat and review for his followers. He's also a consultant who helps restaurants accommodate Muslim diners looking for halal meat. Welcome, Hamza. Thank you. Really good to be here. We are also joined by a proud vegan known by his stage name, Ochiami Kwame, also nicknamed the Rap Doctor. Ochiami is a Ghanaian musician, songwriter, creative director, and entrepreneur. He says he became a vegan because he believes killing animals is a cruel practice. Ochiami joins us from Accra, Ghana. Welcome to you, Ochiami. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And before we get into our discussion, I should also mention we have a global listener who will be joining us a little later in this conversation to pose a question to our panelists, as well as offer some of his own perspectives on this topic. Let's start with you, Ochiami. Tell us about the moment when you decided to stop eating meat and what led you to believe that eating meat was wrong? When I was 39 and about to turn 40, I told myself, wow, I'm going to be an old man. And the average age of the Ghanaian is 21 years old. And the type of music I play, which is pop Ghanaian music, is for young people. So when I was turning 40, I was afraid, in quotes and quotes, that now I'm going to be seen to be old and the young people will no longer identify with my music and I'm going to alienate myself from making the music too pensive they won't buy my music. What am I going to eat? I'm going to lose my fame. This, that, and the other. So to cut a long story short, I turned 40 and lo and behold, I became depressed. And also when I turned 40, through my depression, my bad cholesterol had moved from 3.0 to 4.6, my LDL. And so 
a lot of things happened. I was losing sleep. I could only get two to four hours sleep a night. And so the doctors had put me on medication. They put me on Crestor and I'm, I'm in five. I took the medication for a while. And then my wife said, no way. Uh, you are too young to be on this medication. So she started researching plants. And then she started feeding me with celery in the morning, ginger, lemons. And then after a while, my body told me to try to take meat out of my diet completely and see what will happen. At this very point, I had realized that the most important thing to me is my life. And I had also come to the realization that to be able to know myself, I need to dig deeper into myself and look around me. So what is the best way to look around me, to observe the behavior of animals? So through this observation and the eating of plants and trying to change my diet, one day I, felt, I started feeling very bad whenever I put meat in my mouth. So I realized that the most important thing to me is my life. So is the cow. So is the sheep. So is the chicken. And so I stopped eating meat completely. And when I stopped eating meat, my LDL lowered from 3.6 to 1.4 in less than two months. My sleep increased from two to four hours a night to seven to 10 hours. I could sleep again as I used to be 39. My brain fog went away. My depression vanished and I became a whole new spirited person full of life, living without guilt and having my mojo again. Thank you for that. Okay, Hamza, you're someone who eats halal meat. So first, tell us about that kind of meat and what makes it different from what I might pick up at the grocery store. And then explain why you encourage others to eat meat. Sure. So I'm a Muslim. So as part of a Muslim diet, we eat halal meat. So halal meat, of course, all the animals are the same. The farms the same. But of course, when the animal is slaughtered, as opposed to being stunned, the neck of the animal is covered with a knife. In that process, uh, what happens is a lot of blood is drained. And what that means is the meat actually lasts longer. Uh, it's more fresh. But inherently, the actual animal feels less pain. It's supposed to be one of the least painful ways to, for the animal to pass away and die. So halal meat is actually known to be one of the most healthiest meats as opposed to stunning. Uh, because when I think when the animal is stunned, the blood rains in the body and it causes stress. Uh, but that's the main reason we eat halal meat. And I've been eating halal meat all my life. And what happened is, of course, about a few decades ago, we didn't have much meat in the UK, halal meat. There weren't many options. So farmers have gone to other countries. But now London's become great for halal meat. All the biggest franchises, establishments are now offering halal meat, which is fantastic. So uh, we find it to be healthier and we enjoy it. So I'm glad it's going around. So that's really good. That's great. And so why do you encourage people to eat meat if that's what they want to do? Sure, of course. Firstly, never force someone to eat meat. But uh, the community I've built up, the kind of followers and the people I know, we're all meat eaters. We're kind of like-minded people. I think as humans, uh, we're designed to eat meat. As you mentioned rightly, canine teeth. Uh, we have enzymes in our body designed to digest meat. Since the dawn of time, we've been eating meat thousands of years ago. So this is how human has evolved. And there's actually a case uh, to say that human evolution is because of the actual meat diet. Of course, you should keep everything in balance. You should keep your meat in balance. And um, if I grew up eating meat. It's a cultural thing. So Pakistanis are very meat. If you ever go to Pakistan, lots of meat everywhere. 
Um, my religion that states uh, you should eat meat, but it does state you should eat in moderation. So again, you could overdo it. I do admit sometimes I do overeat meat. I personally can't live without meat. Um, if I do go a day without meat, it affects my mood. I feel weak, feel fatigued. Um, I've tried days where I eat oats in the day, have a cereal, minimize my calories, just to get a bit of a detox, but it's, it's not possible. So I kind of without meat. And I feel like the, the love for meat never fades away. I want to delve more into this idea of cruelty. Hamzad mentioned that halal meat is maybe less cruel to the animal. Ochiami, how does that feel to you? Is there such a thing as less cruel meat? Not at all. Animals, just like humans, have spines. And because we have spines, we have pain receptors. And because we have pain receptors, we can feel every single animal on earth, humans included, wants to grow up and see their children and their grandchildren. They want to live their lives to the fullest. So if you catch an animal and you feed it the best pasture, you feel it the best grass, and when it has matured, you catch it and out of love, you cut off the head and you pour the blood out and say that because you cut off the head and you didn't stab it or you didn't put something in its brain or you didn't cut off its, its legs, you are being kind to it. You are eating it. That's, it is so inhuman. Every single thing that a human being needs to live, to survive, to be healthy is found in plants. So the question here is, why kill an animal if you know you are going to hurt it only to stay alive? I think that it is cool. Do you choose your taste buds over the life of a cow or a sheep? I leave it here. Hamza, I'm going to let you jump right in. I actually think we're doing animals a favor. So there's actually a journal by Nick uh, Zagwell from the Cambridge University Press. And he said that animals exist just so we can eat them. So his idea is the domesticated animals all around the world that are farmed only exist so we can eat them. So the life is brought into animals, okay? And they're given the best food, they're nurtured, they're cared for, okay? Yes, they're given a debt, but at the end of the day, everything is to die. Everything dies at the end of the day. Would you rather have animals in the wild, zebras or, I don't know, deer, okay, who would be eaten alive in the most unforgiving manner, have a long, painful death? Or would you have an animal which is cared for, looked after, well-fed throughout all its life, and then giving, given a painless death or no painless death, right? I think we can both agree that we both care about animal welfare. So that's why I'm an advocate for small farms, which care for animals. And I think that's one of the perhaps conclusions we've come to is animals that are more well looked after, not kind of farmed on a mass scale, right? So I really think that, yeah, I agree with what Nick says is um, they exist for us to eat them. Um, you're comparing humans to animals. Firstly, animals are actually less sentient beings uh, than humans. That's something the majority of us agree on. So. My personal opinion is, I think the industry we have going on and something we've been doing for generations and generations, for thousands of years, we need to do it more ethically, but animals do exist for us to eat. 
So Hamza, we are at a place right now where we can find plenty of substitutes for meat. Here in the United States, you can go to a grocery store and find an entire section of plant-based meat substitutes. You can even order a plant-based burger at Burger King. I mean, history is all about evolution. Haven't we come to a time where we've evolved so we don't have to eat meat? No, I don't think we are. Let me give you a really good example. My other really close cousin, my first cousin, again, we go out everywhere for food, burgers. He actually decided to become a vegan for a week. And um, we want to guess what he ate. Any seeds, plants. The guy was drinking Coke and having Oreo biscuits half the time for a week. And um, I, I don't know, of course, it's, it's, it's what you want to taste. You, you know, one thing is subjective. If you find vegan t- uh, food tasteful, I personally don't. So one thing I've actually not even posted on my blog yet is actually, I thought, look, I'll be open-minded. A few months ago, McDonald's introduced this vegan burger, this, I don't know, Big Mac burger. I thought I'd try it out, right? I have to, look, I have to be open-minded. And that's something I want to convey as well. We are open-minded. I've tried other vegan things, vegan patties. I've tried, um, restaurants have invited me to try their vegan offerings. It's just not the same. Maybe we're not there yet in terms of taste to be a substitute, but um, I really feel there's a long way to go for a conversion to be happening for a vast majority of meat eaters to be going into veganism. I think some people would eat meat just for the sake of it. I'm open-minded, but the taste of these uh, lab-grown meats and, um, you know, you don't even know the long-term effects of this. So meat, we know it's established. You can have meat. It's not if in, kept in normal consumption. You're right. But actual vegan food, the long-term effects, we don't know. This is quite new. That's something that needs to be discovered. Ochiami, what is Hamza missing here? What, what he's missing is that violence is natural. Selfishness is natural. Physical abuse is natural. Psychological abuse is natural. Egotistic behavior is natural. But we all look down upon it and try to improve ourselves. I think the basic difference between a homo sapien and an ape is our ability to rise above our natural inclinations and our compulsions. So if you know, you just accepted that killing the animal and cutting off the head causes slight pain. Why are you just for taste? I agree with you that meat, the beef patties and the fake meat it has, it's nothing like original meat. It's not authentic. It's not reliable. But what he is missing here is to choose be- between his taste palate and the life of a sentient being. Oh, Chiami, we do seem to have a strange relationship with animals. On the one hand, people own pets, dogs, cats, even potbelly pigs. And there are laws against being cruel to animals. But many of us eat animal protein without thinking twice about it. How do we square those two things? Hmm. I, I, don't think, I don't think I want to square it. So I remember the first time I was asked to kill a hen was when I was seven. And when I couldn't kill it, my uncle teased me and called the rest of the neighborhood boys to come and say, I'm chicken. So the next December, From January till the next December, I was increasing the violence in my head. I was constantly thinking of how to prove to my uncle and the other boys in the neighborhood that I can also kill. I think that the violence in the world, I'm talking wars, 
husbands beating wives, people killing each other, school shooting, all those things begin with the eating of animals because that's where children are socialized into taking it in that violence is all right. So I don't think there's any reconciliation between finding the balance. If it is really true that you cannot find protein in beans, in lentils, in wheat, in oats, if you can't find protein, but you must kill an animal to be able to survive, then I suggest you do what is good for you. In that case, I can find the balance. Or if you must wear shoes and the animal is dead already and you want to peel off its skin for the shoe, then maybe we can find the balance right there. But for me, to be able to catch a sentient being, cut off its head so it doesn't suffer too much, and put it in your mouth, I don't understand. Hamza, I want to ask you the same question. Like, how do we square the fact that we love and adore our pets with the fact that we also eat animals? I think for, first, I just want to address what Achama said. I think he's very, as I've spoken to other vegans, he's very open-minded and he does, you know, some, lots of vegans are very close-minded. And they're very aggressive in their tone, so I appreciate that. But uh, I just want to mention one thing with the Islamic slaughtering is the way the Islamic slaughtering works is when you're about to slaughter an animal, the way you do it, the actual animal comes into submission. You can actually find videos of this on YouTube. So have a look at Halal Slaughter. When the animal lays down, I think there's a there's a technique. You just cover its eyes with its ears. It literally submits itself. It's, it's ready and it's open to swallow. So there's a whole technique. It's not like you're pushing it and forcing it to uh, slaughter. It's stressed, uh, it's dying stress, it's suffering. The whole actual process is very painless and it's very simple. You wouldn't really think, you know, I think the conventional ways, perhaps a lot more harsh and um, hopefully we're getting through more ethical ways of um, slaughtering animals. But in terms of um, uh, squaring, it's, um, I think the only thing we could say is have more, I wouldn't really move on the fact that we should stop eating meat. I would say have it in moderation. I would really be an advocate for more ethical farming so having small size farms as opposed to mass ones that's one thing i've researched on and i think one thing ochiama has probably seen like me as well is documentaries of how animals are kept in terrible conditions and actually abused that's painful for me to see so it's not like i hate animals it's not like i want to abuse animals i believe animals should be looked after i loved whether it's a wild animal a domestic animal or a pet all animals should be loved and cared for but we're humans, we're on top of the food chain, always have been. And uh, I could only say we should just have uh, more moderation consumption, have more better ways of looking after animals, make sure it's more controlled, make sure whatever conditions they're in, uh, they're looked after really. And I'll always agree with those points. Every month, Past Blue produces an original podcast for our unscripted series on the Security Council Rotating Presidency. In February, we spoke with the ambassador of Guyana, for example. Unscripted brings you straight into the council chamber where the UN's most important work takes place. Each month, we speak to diplomats about their country's agenda in leading the council and their goals to achieving global peace and security. Unscripted is a podcast from Pass Blue, a women-led media site providing independent coverage of the UN. Search for Unscripted wherever you get podcasts, starting with SoundCloud. 
All right. I want to bring in another voice, Aliasa Abbas. He's been listening in on this conversation from his home in New Delhi. India is, of course, a place where many consider cows sacred, and this has led to some political tension. Aliasa, what is your question for our guests? Yeah, it, it, it has been a, a great debate so far. And uh, so for the major part of the population in the world, and especially for the third world countries and in countries like India that we uh, that I where I reside, meat is actually because a lot of people, a lot of people are indigenous people and they live close to the nature. So meat is really their most affordable option. And because they've always lived close to the nature, they've taken care of those animals. And uh, by the laws of food chain, which is, again, as we discussed, not unnatural, they've been eating them as well. And for them, meat is really the most, uh, all there is uh, for a lot of people. So uh, when we talk about what is right for them, uh, would we ignore the affordability side of it or what is really accessible to them or not? Because that might be true that, okay, a lot of plant-based meats are now available in, in, in the Western world, but that is not the case here. So first of all, how would you bring that nuance into the conversation of telling people that this is not um, the correct way to live? Oshiyami? Very interesting question. Yes, very interesting. I think it's an issue of economics. People have been told they must eat meat. Therefore, they farm meat and it's available so they can buy it. But if people were told to eat plant-based protein, then they will use the same amount of land to farm the plant-based protein and then eat it. And since a lot more people are eating the plant-based protein, then the economies of scale will set in here. Then they will spread the cost over many variables. Therefore, the price of wheat and oats and beans and lentils would be cheaper than meat. Because a lot of people are eating meat, it stands to reason that a lot of people are producing meat. Therefore, there's competition in the market leading to low price of meat. So I think it comes back to deciding to do it or not. If people have empathy, immediately people develop empathy for the animals. It will no longer be about cost, about affordability. But people are growing and producing animals. That's why it is what is available. But I think it's an issue of economics and economies of scale and producing for lower average costs, therefore lowering the price. I know this question was for Ochiami, but I'd love to hear Hamza respond to it as well. There's parts of the world where, you know, vegan food isn't at reach. So, I mean, those kind of places, especially tribes around the world, they'll just continue to hunt and eat meat. It'd be very tough to enforce um, any different kind of diet, especially vegan. I think that'd be pretty much the opposite of what they're expecting. And I think that's kind of something that's out of our control. I think where parts of India are, again, I think it's just a part of really strong culture, perhaps religion, to breed an animal, keep it the way it is, or uh, eat it. Aliasa, I see you nodding your head a lot to what our guests have said. So what have you heard that you've found interesting? The answers were, uh, you know, they tried to put things into perspective a little bit for me. Uh, of course, but the question was not just on the uh, economic front of it, because a lot of these people who eat meat, because we're talking about, you know, 
caring for the nature and the food chain and you know being kind to animals so uh, and a lot of these people that i'm talking about are actually living with the nature more closely than the urban people or the industrialized world so uh, that's what it was about and secondly i just want to clarify uh, uh, it's a clarificatory question to both of you when we talk about being kind to animals because you both gave your view on that how do we visualize that what does kindness to animal exactly mean because on an intelligence level they're not equal to us so even if we are kind to them that will exist right the hierarchy will exist so so that does not change the kindness to that does not change the natural food chain order achiami go ahead yes i agree with you completely that there are levels to intelligence love i don't know kindness as we are talking about empathy all these things are byproducts of love love is not a quantity it's not measurable it's a quality of fellow feeling of oneness of inclusion when i finish eating my mango and i throw it out of my window in the next week a mango is coming out of my backyard in ghana everywhere is plants i live right in the center of the world and vegetation is rich so why am i even considering eating my i can't put it in my mouth i, I can't even think about it this is 2023 there's plenty of with the world decided to come together and be a little empathetic towards animals hamza why don't you take a, a stab at this i mean if it's a choice between animals and not animals why do you choose animals it's different levels so i guess i guess of course the way you look at humans you look different to to at animals of course you care for animals of course you can love animals but there's two different types so if there's pets which you grow up with you look after which you don't want to eat of course but everything apart from pets i believe are meant to be eaten and the question which i think what uh, aliasa brought up i think was a very good point on on kindness that for me that kindness translates into how we treat them and we treat them in the most respectful way of course and we look after them now that's our personal view but on a grand scale on a macro level in the industry it's how farmers would treat their animals and of course that's subjective across the world it's different there's good farmers and bad farmers obviously not doing as good as a job looking after, after animals but it's it's how you treating an animal i think that's how we're thinking of how we're saying is um how with kindness is So I mean that's my understanding of it really. All right, I want to pause uh with the disagreeing for a moment and see if there's any places where we agree because part of our mission at Doha Debates is to not just find areas of disagreement but to find the common ground. So Hamza, is there anything you've heard from Ochiami that you would like to sort of state publicly that you agree with? I'm not convinced on the whole vegan thing i like that he understands of course we have a need for meat in terms of our taste palate he makes an emotional point that you know we should be better we should do better i agree of course we can try to do better we can strive to be better but i think as a human being you're just designed to eat meat okay and i feel that imagine if the whole world's population goes vegan i think we'll be a mess because on a macro scale how it will affect us i think we will be weak I think we won't be able to function properly. So I really don't think that you know we're ready yet. And um no, I'm I'm really really still on the point that we do need to eat meat. It needs to be part of our core diet. Don't overdo it. 
keep it in moderation and uh, it's still there. I don't think that there's a necessity for you to go vegan. If you want to go, absolutely fine for environmental reasons or if you feel for the animals. But, you know, I, I'm all for caring for animals and well-being, as I said. But the way they're slaughtered, if they're slaughtered in a humane way, all their lives are looked after, they're well-fed. I mean, they've given, you know, because of you, because of the whole industry, you've given life to, you know, an animal. You look after it the whole life, you know, it's, it's been cared for. On the other side of the story, if it's in the wild, it's suffering, it's hungry, it's starving. So in a way, you're doing the animal a favor. That's my belief. And that's why I don't think it's cruel. I think you're actually doing animals good in that way. Uchi, I mean, I know that there is a lot that Hamza has said today that you disagree with. Can you find one or two things that you agree with? I can find a lot. I agree with the fact that fake meat doesn't taste good. I don't like fake meat. I don't eat fake meat. I only eat fake meat when I'm in America and I'm not with my wife. I also agree with the fact that animals suffer gruesome deaths whilst they are in the wild. I agree with that one. I also agree with the fact that eating meat is cultural and therefore some humans might eat meat. But it poses the question, for example, um, in connection with, um, with the animals in the wild dying painful and slowly, if someone came to take me out of my house and put me in a cell where he feeds me great vegan meals every day for the next 50 years, I'll become depressed. I want to grow up in a space where I am naturally inclined to grow up in. Even if I die 20 years younger, I will live a much fuller life than if someone took me out of the society and fed me all the great grass that there exists in the world. All right. Well, both of you are considered influencers. Ochiami, you have fans that listen to your music and follow you on social media. What messages do you want them to take away from this conversation? Are there points that Hamza made that you would like to include in that message? I want to say that being kind to an animal doesn't mean taking good care of it and feeding it the right pasture so you can cut off its head. That is not kind. That is business. That is capitalism. That is apathy. Being kind to an animal, if you don't even want to pick it and, and feed it, is to let it be in its natural state. Less than 500 years ago, the European used to come to Africa, catch African, young Africans, put them on a boat, and take them to the Americas to go and work for free. The Anglican Church of England said the African doesn't have a soul. Therefore, you can beat the African. The Bible said that if you beat your slave and the slave doesn't die, nothing should happen to you. So less than 500 years ago, human beings treated other human beings like the same way we treat animals because they thought that they didn't have a soul. So are we doing the same to animals? If it was wrong then, how is this one right? This is where I live in. 
final thought for you, Hamza, for the people who follow your food reviews and the restaurants you work with, what messages do you have for them? And I'm going to try the same challenge for you. Are there points that Ochiami has made today that you think people should consider? Yeah, I mean, Ochiami's dance is, again, I think very much not based on environmental. That's, there's another case for that as well, but more on emotional and how you feel an animal should be treated. And I do, I do touch base with those points. At the end of the day, I feel that no one can force anyone's opinion. You can't force me to vegan. I can't force uh, Ochiami to eat meat. We're all free to do what we do. Do your own research, see what's best for you. My personal belief is I can't stay without meat. So yeah, animals should be looked after. When we do slaughter them, it should be in the most humane way so they're not left to suffer. And finally, I want to turn to our Gen Z listener, Aliasa, joining us from New Delhi. What final reflections do you have from today's conversation? Yeah, thank you, Karen. I think it was a great conversation. I uh, naturally inclined more towards listening uh, Ochiami's uh, opinions because initially I uh, agreed with Hamza's position to, to begin with. And I think uh, while I do not, uh, I, I still stand on uh, my initial position or thought, but it, it serves as a timely reminder what Ochiami said that to remind ourselves that animal cruelty as a phenomenon does exist at a massive large scale and while i do not agree to it in a sense it, by in a definition that he gave but it still exists uh, in, in in terms of large corporations in terms of you know uh, impersonal treatment in farms and production for mass consumption all across the world and selling them for profits and that's something that we should all always remember and strive to you know better yeah thanks I think that's a great final thought that I think everyone was nodding their heads at. So thank you very much for that. My thanks to all of our guests today, Ochiami Kwame in Ghana, Hamzad Huri in the UK, and Aliasa Abbas in India. Thanks for listening to Doha Debates. I'm your host, Karen Given. Doha Debates is a production of Qatar Foundation. Our podcast is produced by FP Studios and Doha Debates. Our producers include Daniel Dadzi and Katrine Dermody. FP Studios Managing Director is Rob Sachs. Our executive producers are Jafit Weeks, Amjad Atala, and Jigger Mehta. To learn more about Doha Debates, please head to DohaDebates.com, where you can find more about our other podcasts, short films, upcoming events, and more. And please, if you like our podcast, follow and share your reviews. Thanks for listening.